Hello, and welcome to the Kingdom Corner Podcast, where you can propel your faith into even deeper levels as we discuss how to live the kingdom culture on earth as it is in heaven, just as Jesus prayed. Here's your host, the great Matt Geib. In the time of the storm, let me hide in the secret of thy pavilion when the world's in confusion let me run to the cleft of the rock in you precious jesus i will flee sing sweetly to me in the time of the storm let me hide, dear Jesus, in Thee. When the ocean shall roar and darkness be near, when the mountain shall crumble and there's no where to flee, in You, precious Jesus. I will flee, swing sweetly to me in the time of the storm. Let me hide, dear Jesus, in Thee. There's no other rock of refuge for me. When the night comes upon us, Unto you I will flee. In you, precious Jesus, let me flee and cling unto thee. In the time of the storm, let me hide, dear Jesus, in thee. In the time of the storm, let me hide in the secret of your pavilion when the world's in confusion let me run to the cleft of the rock in you precious jesus i will flee sing sweetly to me in the time of the storm let me hide, dear Jesus, in Thee. In the time of the storm, I will hide, dear Jesus, in Thee. Good day, good day, Kingdom Corner podcast followers and listeners. I just remembered that old song from years and years ago, was my wife that used to sing it way back in the Bible school we went to. Uh, She would do such a better job than I have there, but I just couldn't help but think of that song because it really applies to what we have been studying. And in our our lesson, we've been studying the living, breathing, quickening temple of God uh, way back in the beginning of the month, and then I had some challenges, and I didn't get back and finish up the second part. But this verse came to mind today because of everything that we see happening in our society and world with COVID-19, with the riots, and now the United States withdrawing from Afghanistan. 
There's just a lot of fear. There's just a lot of confusion. There's a lot of uncertainty right now. But we know we can run to the cleft of the rock. We can run to that rock, which is Jesus. And I, that that song comes from—I'm going to read the Scripture. It just so beautifully fits in with what we're talking about in this lesson in the quickening, living, breathing temple of God. Psalm 27.5, For in the time of trouble, in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. Now that's like a hollow out, hollowed out den, a hollowed out cave. It's the same, sometimes it's translated tabernacle as well. He shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. Amen. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? With all the confusion and uncertainty, there is a temple. There is a tabernacle we can run into, and I've been teaching you about that. We've been talking about the living, breathing uh, tabernacle of God made up of collective saints from all corners of the earth. God wants to form this body of believers. It talks about in Daniel that in the last days, this group will prevail and do exploits. We're going to be able to run in there and hide from the confusion, hide from the uncertainty, hide from the trouble, and yet we're not going to stay hidden. We're going to move out as a collective army, as a collective body, as a collective living, breathing temple, and do mighty exploits for God. Remember last time we were together, I sang a bit of uh, Brandon Lake's song, This is a House of Miracles. And that's what this world needs. It needs a place to run into that is a house of miracles, that is a house where the living, breathing God lives in his people, and people come in and they, are, they, they know that they know that God is there and that he will meet them. That's what they need in this hour that we're living in. I don't know what's going to happen out in the world. I don't know what's going to happen from one day to the next. But I do know that there's a living, breathing temple of God, collective body of believers that I can gather with and lock arms with, that I can touch God with, and that things will be all right. Things will, I may not, my physical body may no longer be here. My physical body may be uh, called upon to be sacrificed, but I will be in his presence. Like Paul said, for me to live is Christ. Yes, it is. To die is gain. I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. I want to encourage you in that today as we start our lesson. And I, I just really, that was really on my heart. That's, that's uh, <laughs> and in addition to what we're talking about in the living, breathing, quickening temple of God. And we want to get back in and we just want to finish this beautiful, beautiful lesson, this beautiful, beautiful message that I believe God has given for this hour that God has given it to the church, that God has given it to us, that we can understand it, that we can form part of that living, breathing temple, that quickening temple, life-giving temple, house of miracles. We can be that house of miracles, you know? It looks like over in Afghanistan, the embassy is maybe crumbling. It's no longer there. A lot of people ran to an embassy, or you could go to the embassy in a foreign country and be safe. Well, our embassy, as it were, is the living, breathing temple of God that the world could run into and be safe. And I'm going on and on, and I'm not even gotten into the heart of the lesson today. But let's talk. Let's go back in. This is part two of the quickening, life-giving temple of God. I have to settle down here a little bit. 
have to settle down here and get through this outline, get through what we've been talking about. So the living, breathing, life-giving, quickening temple of God. And we began to talk about an introduction last time about how God, the first point was the introduction. God has always wanted to have a relationship with you and I. It started in the Garden of Eden when he created Adam. It wasn't good enough that he had all those animals and all the beauty of the earth. He wanted a living, breathing soul that he could breathe into, which was Adam, and have a relationship with. And then he created Eve so Adam could have a relationship with her. And they were walked together in the garden. Genesis 3.8, I believe, says that God was looking for them one day, but sadly they had fallen. They had eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they were hiding. They were ashamed because they were naked. But that shows that God had relationship. And we went on and, and we saw how he had relationships with various men in the Old Testament. Enoch was not because they got so close, he and God, that God took him. We saw that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, even though the rest of the creation, God said he was sorry he made them. But he made this ark. He helped, or he, he put it on Noah's heart, who found grace in the eyes of the Lord to make this ark that eight people escaped in so the creation could be started again, right? Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It goes on. You could read the Old Testament. He came down to Abraham, and he began to have a relationship with Abraham. And through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know, there was the Abrahamic covenant, and the history of Israel is formed. And out of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and especially Jacob, the 12 sons of Jacob, the nation, the godly nation of Judah and Israel were formed. We talked about, I think I'm a little bit ahead of myself. Well, no, no, we can go on in the story. And they ended up down in Egypt. And they ended up after 400 years, you know, in bondage. And they were crying out to God. And of course, God heard them. And he... Uh, sent Moses to deliver them, that they could, what was the main thing he wanted from them to have relationship, to come unto Mount Sinai, Exodus 3.12, and worship. That's what he wanted to happen. And then throughout there, we see that God wanted a, a first it was a tabernacle, something that was portable. They could move around in the wilderness, built so he could come down and meet with them corporately. And he would show up there. The Shekinah glory would show up there. And then we went on and we saw that from the tabernacle, you know, then they became a, a nation, of course. And uh, David wanted to bring build God a temple or a tabernacle. And he said, no, uh, a temple, a building, a permanent building. He said, no, your son will do that. So, so we see that Solomon, the man of peace, where they had 40 years of peace and prosperity, built God a house that God would come down in in glory and show himself to the people. We talked about that, and we're just going through the introduction here. Then I showed you the new covenant came in, and in the old covenant, God came down and he visited people, right? He came down at different periods of time and, and visited them, but now he wanted to be in them. He wanted to be right inside of man, of each man and woman. The hour is coming, and now is, John 4, 23 and 24, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And we talked about that, how he told the woman there at the well, she was a Samaritan woman, 
he wanted her to give him a drink of water. And they began to have this discourse, this discussion. And, uh, you know, she says, well, you know, you, I see that you're a prophet, Jesus. You know, our fathers say, go worship on the mountain. You Jews say, go to Jerusalem. And Jesus said, believe me, the hour is coming when you'll neither worship in this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You'll worship the Father, right? Because worship was no longer going to just be in a physical building, but it was going to be from and with inside of man, right? What is proper worship? Well, it's such a beautiful scripture, Romans 12, 1. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, which is your spiritual service of worship. And NIV says, I like the way NIV says it, which is your true and proper worship. It's in our bodies. That's where he wants to meet with us. That's where he lives inside of us, and worship flows from that, right? It's a personal habitation. We read a, a number of scriptures in John that talk about that. Um, you can go back and listen to that. And we got to hasten on because I've already been here quite a while, and I've not even gotten to part two of where we left off the last time. But the next point of this outline, God desires to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. We talked about that. Now, the next point of the outline, point number four, is we just started to get into it. It's beautiful. What did we say? First, under the outline, God wanted to have a relationship with man. We covered that. Then God wanted a house built that he could come down and meet with man in. Number three, we talked about, I just read that, John 4, 23 and 24, worshiping in spirit and in truth. And the way we do that is, is we present our bodies a living sacrifice, right? As a, a lifestyle, as a life of giving worship unto him. Now, number four, which takes this word picture, this beautiful picture, to even greater heights because God desires to be worshipped in the living, breathing, quickening, life-giving temple of God. And just what is that? What is that life-giving, living, breathing temple of God? Well, it's you and I, brothers and sisters, in a metaphoric, in a typology-type picture, being built as a building, and then in Ephesians 2, as we started to talk about, it morphs into actually a physical body as a word picture. Isn't that so beautiful? It's spiritual. It's not physical, but it's a spiritual thing. Um, let's see. Let's just read this here. Paul addresses the apex of what men and women were created for. The main scripture here is Ephesians 2, 12 to 22. Maybe I should read verse 18, and then we'll get to this point. For through him, this is verse 18, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about the household, the building of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into, this is the apex of the message, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of the Spirit of God. It, it, not just in us personally, but now we come together and we form a building collectively that God dwells in and lives in. It's no longer an austere 
tabernacle or an austere uh, cement or brick building, but it's a living, breathing temple of God made up of his people, of his saints. Paul addresses the apex of what men and women were created for, the most intimate relationship of all, being made into a living, breathing tabernacle for Abba. That's, that's the whole picture. That's the whole purpose of the gospel of Christ, and we're going to get into this more as we go on. Here we see a word picture presented to us of a building. It may seem cold, inanimate, austere, like a brick building, you know, and yet this building blossoms, in, blossoms into the figure of a physical body, what I call the living, breathing temple of Abba, or the quickening, life-giving temple of Abba. Remember how we sang last time, this is a house of miracles? That's what I'm talking about. It's life-giving. It's a house of miracles. It's that temple people can run into that are in confusion and fear out there, and they can have clarity, and they can have purpose, and they can have joy, and God will protect them, and God will sustain them, and God will give them purpose and destiny in their life. That's what we're talking about. Here we see a word picture presented to us. and I just read that. What could present a more intimate personal picture and example than that of our human body? This word picture is a reminder of how close we can choose to be to Abba, that we can experience his power, his might, his love through being constructed by God together with the household of God, that is his people, into holy a holy habitation in which he would be pleased to dwell. Wow, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Let's look further. We're on point number four of this living, breathing, quickening temple of God about building the temple. And let's look at a few points here. First of all, we're built on the Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. And that's the chief uh, rock in a building where mainly the two main walls are are built on, you know, they're they're connected into, and it's the main support of the building. Of course, it's Jesus Christ. He's the chief apostle, okay? And, um, you know, that's, that's what we're built on. We read that right here in this scripture, and are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, Ephesians 2.20, in whom the building is fitly joined and framed together, into a holy temple. That's where it starts with Jesus Christ, in whom also you are builded for a habitation of God through his spirit. Let's go back up to 20 and are built on the foundation, not just Jesus Christ. That's the main thing, the main cornerstone. We have to have Jesus first, then the apostles and prophets. Okay. That's the foundation of the building are those gifts, offices given to the church. All right. And there's a few scriptures here. Just going to read 1 Peter 2, 5. You also, that's talking about the saints now, as living stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, <laughs> to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Remember, we talked about giving our bodies as a sacrifice unto the Lord in Romans 12, 1 and 2. That's what, this is a parallel scripture to that. Built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, okay? 1 Corinthians 3, 9, and 10. We'll just read a few cross-references, and then I'll put them in the notes. There's a notes section on the podcast you can get. 
For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Isn't that beautiful? According to the grace of God, which was given to me, and this is Paul talking, he was called a wise master builder. He's an apostle. I have laid the foundation. See, we talked about apostles and prophets being the foundation upon which was the building would be built. And another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds. Jude 1.20 but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. And I think we talked about last time that that is, I believe, praying in a prayer language that God can give each of us. And it builds us up because it bypasses our own understanding and our spirit talks spirit to spirit with God. And it's like that very word, okadomai, means to build up. And we're talking about building a spiritual building, Right. And we build up individually, and then we build together collectively, like I've been talking about. Let's go on. Building the quickening temple of God. Apostles and prophets are the foundation. Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. Let me see. Did we read this one? Did I just read it? Let's read this again. First Peter 2, and this is a, an expanded scripture here, not just one verse. First Peter 2, 4 to 8. Coming to him as to a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God, precious. And he's talking about Jesus was rejected. He was a chief cornerstone, but he was rejected by most of his fellow countrymen. You also, as living stones, are built up a spiritual house. We read that verse, okay? A chief cornerstone, elect and precious, all right? And he who believes on him will no, by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected, has become, and talking about Jesus here, the chief cornerstone. He was a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word, to which they also were appointed. And I have more, more in my notes here about the chief cornerstone. Like I said, I'm going to put them in the podcast notes. Building the quickening temple of God. And uh, we could look at the word groweth. They grow together into a holy temple. Zechariah 6, 12 to 13, a prophecy of Jesus. He shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. This is a prophecy of what Christ would do in the millennium and beyond. He shall build the temple of the Lord. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear the glory and sit and rule upon his throne. That's talking about Jesus in the end of time. When the new heavens and new earth are brought in at the end of time, that's there's a lot of prophecy there in the book of Zechariah. Let's look at habitation. Psalm 26, 8, Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. He dwells within the church of Jesus Christ. That's where he dwells today. That's where he inhabits. He wants to collectively join with the people of God. Those of you who have been church hurt out there, I just have a quick word for you. You need to allow God to heal you of that because he loves his church and he wants to build you as a lively stone into that building. He has a purpose for you. He has a place for you to come in and be part of, you know, and we need to somehow get over that, get healing from that. Because God loves a habitation, or the psalmist said he loved the habitation of God's house because God's glory dwelt there. That's what David said. 
temple, the temple. Let's go on part five. We talked about building the quickening temple, a life-giving temple of God. The next point of the outline, point number five. Now, to build this temple, you have to have building supervisors and workers, right? It just isn't going to poof and be there. I guess God could do that. But he's expecting us to build the temple. And how's that going to be? And when I originally got this message, it started in my heart over two years ago. They were building a right out here, right out my window. They built an apartment for my mom. And all these workers would show up. It was about 400 square feet. We had the roofers. We had the plumbers. We had the electricians. And I mean, there weren't a lot of them. But there were all these various workers. There's a roofer, yeah, the electrician, plumber, a Finnish carpenter. And sometimes their supervisor would show up and show them what to do. And then the workers would do the building. And this is what I'm talking about here. Ephesians 4, 7 to 16. Who are the supervisors and workers? Let's read this. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he said, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. Jesus gave gifts, or we could say gift offices to men. Let's go on. And he himself gave some to be, verse 11, Ephesians 4, 11, he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints. He gave, we could read it this way, uh, you know, the supervisor apostle, the supervisor prophet, the supervisor evangelist, the supervisor pastor, and the supervisor teacher. Why am I using that word supervisor? Because most of the time, supervisors are not doing the work. They're training others and equipping them and showing them how to do the work. The other saints, and then they turn that over them to them to do. They may come back and check like they did out here at my mom's apartment to see that things were going all right, maybe to make an adjustment or correction here or show somebody how to do something better or differently. But they don't really do the work. They train the workers to do the work. And these supervisory positions in Ephesians 4.11, they're training up you and I to do the work and to build the temple. That's what we're building the temple. And they're training us how to do that. Let's read this. And he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, verse 12, Ephesians 4, 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. And here's this beautiful word again, for the edifying, the okadomio, the building up, the building up of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, and will no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Let's go to verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up. See, he wants the building to be perfected, you know, to be finished. May grow up into all things who is ahead of, which is Christ. From whom the whole body, here's where we get again into the picture of the body, a physical body being joined and knit together. All right, by what causes growth for the edifying? There's that word, okidomio, building up of itself in love. And then I have in here in the notes, and you can go get them. I'll have them in the podcast notes. A comparison of Ephesians 4:16 and Ephesians 2:21 to 22. There's some beautiful words, building it and edifying. Those are such beautiful words. 
okadomio. And we talked about when we pray in the spirit, we're building up. We do that individually, uh, but we're also going to do that collectively as a body, fitted and joined together. All right? Fitted together, joined together, you know? And I remember in the Old Testament, there's a scripture where they were building the temple of God, and it was all... Then you have to use any uh, bolts or nuts that just fit together perfectly. And there was no noise when they were putting it together because it fits so perfectly. Okay. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And I, I'm not sure it's that way with us because sometimes we're like the iron that sharpens iron when we're put together with others in the body because we rub things off of each other. We sand things off of each other, you know, and yet God is using that and it comes together eventually if we're willing and we have the heart and we love each other, it eventually fits together. We fit together with the other brothers and sisters in the living, breathing temple of God to do what we are supposed to do in that temple. And we fit right alongside of them with their giftings, right? That's what we're talking about. So that's that point. Now, the next point of the outline, and this is beautiful too. This is point number six. The gifts, so we're building the temple, right? We're building the living, breathing temple of Abba, right? It's not just going to happen. And we do that because God's given offices, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, those supervisors, to put us saints to work to build it. But what do we need? What What does every good workman need in his trade? He needs tools, right? He needs tools to build what he's building. If he's a plumber, he needs plumbing tools. If he needs, if he's a roofer, he needs that roofing nails and the roofing hammer, right? If he's a finished carpenter, he has a specific set of tools. And as men and women of God that are building the temple together as saints, we need tools to build this living, breathing temple of Abba. And what are these tools but the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Let's look at Romans 12 just briefly. And these, again, this is all going to be in the notes in the podcast notes, as God has dealt to each one, each worker, we could say, a measure of faith. That is a tool. He's given to each one of them that work a tool. He's given to each one of us a tool. For as many as we are many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ. In other words, the plumber doesn't do what the roofer does, and the roofer doesn't do what the electrician does. We all have one function. We being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts or tools that differ according to the grace that is given us, let us use them. If prophecy, or if you're a roofer, then do that. Let us prophesy in proportion to faith. Ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation. See, bring these gifts to the living, breathing temple of God and use them to build this living, breathing temple. Exhortation with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with mercy and with cheerfulness. Romans 12, and I believe, uh, what are the verses here? I started out at verse 1, and I went down through verse 8. Romans 12, 1 to 8. These are more the innate gifts that we're kind of born with, you know. Then we go to the manifestational gifts, manifestational gifts, which are in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, and that's 12 through about 17. We could read that. There are differences of ministries. I'm in verse 4, but the same Lord, and diversities of activities, but the same God who works all in all. 
Verse 7, but the manifestation, see this is the manifestational gifts of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. See, this is something that God just gives as we have faith for these gifts. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing, you know, by the same Spirit. I just had my neighbor healed. God came down upon me in a manifestational gift of healing and his ankle, believe me, I, it was all swollen up. It looked like it was broken. It wasn't anything I did. It was what Abba did. This was two weeks ago, and he was healed. And from that healing, he was a man that was a Hindu. He gave his heart to Jesus. And I, I could speak more about that. But these gifts are to bring the power of God. This is a house of miracles, you know. And when people see the power of God, you know, yeah, some of them might be caught up with just the miracles, you know, just the loaves and the fishes, and they're excited about that. But so many more of them will see the power of God and through that know there is a real living God and come into relationship with them, like my former Hindu neighbor did, okay? A working of miracles to another prophecy, discerning of spirits, different kind of tongues, interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one, individually as he wills. For as the body is one, see now he gets back into the picture of a physical body, but all members of the one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, and all of us have been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member but many. If the foot say, Behold, I'm a hand, I'm not the body. Is it therefore not part of the body? If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body. Is it therefore not part of the body? Is it therefore not part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, what would that be like? Where would be the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set members, each one of them in the body, just as he has pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? See, we all have different functions. You know, the finished carpenter can't do all the work. He can't do all, you know, the plumbing. He can't do the roofing. He's got that one specialized thing that he does. Or, you know, like in this word picture, maybe God gives a gift or two to you, not just one. There are many members, yet one body, right? So that's a beautiful picture. This uh, 1 Corinthians 12 goes clear to 31. I, I think I started at the beginning of the chapter. It'll be in the podcast notes. Now you are the body of Christ, verse 27, and God has appointed these in the church. Here we go again. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? No, we need a variety of people doing different jobs, have, bringing different tools to the worksite, right? Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and I'll show you a more excellent way. Let's see, Ephesians 2, build, building, builded, all epigodomio or okadomio, to build up, all right? Building up the temple. Let's read a couple of verses here. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 3 and 4, but he who prophesies in the church speaks edification or building up and exhortation and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edify or, uh, edifies or okadomio himself, builds himself up. He who prophesies edifies the whole church, the whole building. Even so, you who are zealous, 1 Corinthians 14, 12, 
for the spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification or the building up of the church that all may excel. All right? How is it then, brethren? 1 Corinthians 14, 26. Whenever you come together, let each of you has, one should have a psalm, one should have a teaching, one should have a tongue, one should have a revelation, one should have an interpretation. Let all things be done for okadomio, building up, edification, that the whole um, living, breathing temple might be properly built. You know, let the plumber come and put the right pipes in the right way so the water doesn't leak all over. Let the roofer come and put the roofing on the right way so the house doesn't leak. He's saying, let us come together in the living, breathing temple spiritually of God and operate our gifts and tools in the right way so the church is built up properly. And I think that's where we're having trouble today. That's not happening. It's just like, I know I'm going on here, but I have to go on. I got another couple points and we'll be done, but I just, I have to hit on this. I, I The word picture so applies. When they built my mom's apartment out here, there was a mess up and they began to build the foundation wrong. There were problems with it. And they had to come in and tear it all down and rebuild it again, okay? They had to rebuild it again because it wasn't being built right. And for about six weeks before they could get approval from the city, you know, I had to have approval of the of their diagrams and everything of how to build it properly. And the inspector had to come out and approve it before they could start to rebuild it. It looked like a war zone out there. And sad to say today, a lot of the church, the living, breathing tabernacle of God that he wants to establish and build in this last day, it's sitting there. It looks like a war zone. It's not being finished. It's not being completed. People aren't coming in and using their gifts properly. Some of them don't even know how to use their gifts, okay? So that's just a, a little added thought there for you. The gifts are tools needed to build the temple. We talked about that, the gifts of the Spirit, all right? Went over that a bit. Now, in this living, breathing temple of God that's being built, what else is there? Just like maybe many of you here who have a wife or had a mother, what did she have in her house? House plants, right? Or And some of them, like I know in some houses, some people have little fruit plants, a little orange tree that actually grows inside of their house. I think we had a little plant like that for a while. And we're going to talk about fruit plants in the temple. You know, this is a wonderful temple. If I, I wish I had somebody that was a cartoonist that could draw it for me, this temple, you know, this living, breathing temple that, you know, looks like the face of a person. And then out the window are, are these branches that are branching out, you know, because there's fruit in the temple. There's plants in the temple. This is a great verse, and it especially applies to me. Psalm 92, 12 to 14. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. And then he, he says, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of their God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. You know, I, I according to the government here in the United States, I'm of that retirement age, and I do have a little aside for you. I do collect Social Security. They consider me old age, and this is a promise to me. Verse 14, I shall bear fruit in old age. A lot of times I don't feel real old. Some days I do, but I, you know, I still feel like I have a lot inside of me. 
even though I'm at retirement age, according to the government of the United States. They shall be fresh and flourishing. Today I got up and I felt fresh as, fresh as a daisy, so to speak. And then the other part of it, those who are planted in the house of God shall flourish. It's such a beautiful scripture. Being planted, being planted together with the other saints. We feed each other, we build each other up, and we flourish. We're fruitful. Psalm 1, 1 to 3. And I love this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight, his love, his joy is in the law of the Lord. And in this law does he meditate. Meditate means to mutter over and over again to oneself, to like a cow brings up its cuds, to chew that word over and over again. He meditates on it day and night. Then he shall be like a tree planted by the river of water that brings forth fruit in its season. Yes, house plants in the house of God, fruit plants in the house of God, right? Whose leaves shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Read John 15, the whole chapter. It's all about the true vine. I am the true vine, John 15, 1. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. In other words, he prunes the tree. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, there it says it, that it may bear more fruit. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out, you know, into the fire. And we'll go on. Let's see. All right, so that's bearing fruit in the house of God, being having fruit trees and fruit plants in the house of God. And that's really the saints. That's who are, we are in another word picture. You did not choose me, uh, John 15, 11, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Your fruit should remain, and whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that you love one another. And then this one. This proves it to me. To me, the gifts of the Spirit, you know, that we build the temple with, that we build that living, breathing tabernacle with as we're together, you know, these, the gifts of the Spirit, you know, not only are we building this temple, this living, breathing temple, but what, what happens here? The fruit of the Spirit, this is how the fruit is, you know, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Every good farmer, every good gardener has to have tools to cultivate his fruit plants, to cultivate his flowers. What are the Again, what are those tools? The gifts of the Spirit. I believe the gifts of the Spirit help cultivate the fruit of the Spirit if we allow God to do that. Okay? Conclusion. We're at the end of the lesson here. And I know I've gone a long time, but I need to. This is very important. But Christ came as a high priest, Hebrews 9, 11, 15. To, uh, he came as the high priest, right? He was the fulfillment of the great high priest. And he built a more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is of his creation. That's what he did when he died on the cross, when he sacrificed his life. He tore the veil that we could go in and, and be, uh, you know, have a fellowship with God right? That's what he taught. He bought, built a tabernacle that wasn't made with hands. It's that tabernacle where we tabernacle in relationship with God, right? That's a tabernacle he built. Revelation 21.3, 
Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. This is John the Beloved on the Isle of Patmos. He's receiving the end time revelation, book of revelation of what would happen in the end of time. There was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, listen to this, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Whoo, that's the whole apex of all the creation and the story and what God intended to do with man, that he could tabernacle with them. And then uh, let's read one, one more. But I saw... This is uh, Revelation 21, 9, 21, 9, let's see, Revelation 21, 9 to 27, I'm going to read you verse 22, but here I saw no temple, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. That's the conclusion of the matter. God is calling in this last day a bride of Christ that he's going to bring forth and prepared for his son Jesus and when they are united in the heavens, that's going to be God's temple that he'll dwell with with man forever in the new heavens and the new earth. Let me just reiterate one more time before we quit. The quickening, life-giving temple of God. We're talking about building the life-giving, breathing, living temple of God. Ephesians 2, 20-22. We're talking about temple supervisors and workers. That's you and I coming together. That's apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher coming to supervise the work. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. What are the tools needed? We talked about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the innate gifts he's given us. Okay? Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. And then we talked about the tools needed. Well, I guess maybe I just said that. Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Then we talked about this temple. This is going to have house plants, going to have fruitful trees. John 15, Psalm 1, Psalm 92, 14. It's going to be a fruitful, fruitful temple with fruitful fruit trees in it. And it's going to be built up together. Let me read this last statement. This was the beginning, and then we'll be done. Each personal saint, that's you and I, is a temple that God inhabits personally. However, in these last days, the greater glory in this time and season is God is beginning to build a living, breathing, life-giving house of miracles, remember, temple through the builders, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers as supervisors, and individual saints as builders come together and they build this. They're made up corporately of the saints together in unity, worshiping corporately which will then revolutionize the world. Habakkuk 2, 14. For the Lord shall be filled, the earth shall be filled, I'm sorry, with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Be blessed, my friend. You are the living, breathing, life-giving, miracle-giving temple of God. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the Kingdom Corner Podcast. Thank you for joining us for another great discussion on The Kingdom Corner, hosted by Matt Geib. 
remember to click the subscribe button so you can be notified of each new episode as it's released. To enjoy an even deeper dive into God's Word, check out Matt's new devotional book, Searching for Significance, a devotional journey through the book of Ecclesiastes. Learn more and even hear from Matt himself on the devotional website, significanceacademy.com. As always, thank you for being a part of the Kingdom Corner.